0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Organized Chaos. And if you're new here, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. And this show is all about creating harmony in the chaos of life. So for you busy moms and mom entrepreneurs who are maybe starting a business or have a business but want to be able to do it all without burning out, this show is for you. So today is business-related So in today's episode, I interviewed Paige Hulse. So Paige is an attorney and business owner who focuses on bridging the gap between creative business owners and the legal world. After working as a contract litigator by day and practicing her creative outlet, Calligraphy, by night, she followed in the footsteps of her entrepreneurial family and now merges the two together. To help make the law more accessible for creatives, she runs both the Creative Law Shop, a one-stop, Legal Template Shop and her law firm, Paige Hulse Law. This was a really interesting interview because Paige really breaks down some of the main things that you need to think about when you have a business and you want to protect yourself legally. So without further ado, here is Paige Hulse. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us. So I have Paige Hulse here. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. I'm really excited to chat with you and and just excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited as well. Um, We've never talked about anything legal, so I'm really excited to jump on into that. But before we get into your expertise, I would love to know a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. So I am, and I promise, even though we're going to be talking about the law, my goal is for this to not just be a completely boring (laughs) conversation (laughs) for everybody. We will cover just the necessity so you don't have to think about it again. Um, Backing up, I I started actually, it's kind of a, it was kind of a uh, circuitous route, you could say, but I actually started practicing as an oil and gas litigator immediately after graduating from law school. Um, it was a very, very interesting experience. I learned more than I could ever. I-, I was very blessed to have that um, that opportunity. It was definitely a trial by fire in terms <laughs> of um, first. I was the first female that my law firm had ever hired, and I was one of three practicing exclusively in that industry in my state. So it was just a very interesting experience, and I. Was thrown into, literally, I was thrown into court within three days of starting work there. Wow! <laughs> so I, learned I learned more in that in that phase of um, that year and a half that I was there than than many of my peers. You know, I got more experience than many of my peers were able to mm-hmm. uh, in twice that amount of time. And while it was hard, it was definitely worth it on the back end. Yeah. Um, but it was stressful, obviously, when when you're just thrown into that type of scenario all of a sudden. And so I was looking for a, I was looking for a creative outlet just to counterbalance that stress. um, Just something, something that I could do at, at night just to literally turn off that, that part of my brain and just, you know, shift into being at wife mode. Cause my husband and I got married um, right after I passed, literally a couple of days after I passed the bar exam,
0: wow.
1: um, just as a sidebar, I would not recommend booking your wedding to be two days after you find out your bar results, it's a little bit stressful.
0: Right. Two extremely stressful situations. Back <laughs> <Just> exactly. <back. laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, so anyways, I was looking for a creative outlet and um, I had just stumbled into calligraphy. It was that phase of my life where, you know, when we've all been there where it seemed like all of my friends were getting married at once. And it was just something that I was, I was more and more familiar with. And so I developed this habit of coming home after work every day And I would just sit there and I would just do calligraphy for hours. It became almost like a form of, I would say it was almost like a form of meditation, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, you know, again, taking my mind off of the law. Um, Going back to how most of my friends were getting married at that time, um, people started asking me for, if i could just you know do their invitations or just do their 300 place cards or just you know those types <laughs> of things so before i realized it i had my hobby turned into a, a little side business and i was actually ironically i was completely unaware for quite a while and once i started bringing in a little bit of money with it that's when i started to really look at the obviously the legality of of what i was doing and if i needed to start treating this like a business um And to make a long story short while going through the steps of, of doing that, I became very acquainted with the creative world and just started networking with other calligraphers around the world and started hearing them asking the same questions and needing the same contracts I was needing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so by the second year of practicing law and at that point running a a pretty robust side business at the time, um, I decided to leave my my old firm and start my own law firm, Page Hulse Law, and and subsequently the Creative Law Shop as well, working exclusively with creative entrepreneurs.
0: That's amazing. I love that story and just the the fact that it happened so organically is is amazing. Um, I, you know, you have a background in law, so naturally you thought, okay. What are kind of like the legal things that I need to do as far as my business? So you have this business now and, you know, you think, okay, what are some of the steps that I need to, to do to really do things right? Right. So as someone who doesn't have that legal background, and I think sometimes people don't even think about that, that, and I think taxes, Um, you just don't think about that when they're starting a business. Um, so what advice would you give people or like, where would people get started, um, to, to really set themselves up for success?
1: Absolutely. That, and that, that's a great question. I'll start, start my answer with a, a little bit of an anecdotal story, just to help bring it bring some context yeah. to it. Um, so while I was in that phase of working, you know, doing calligraphy on the side and all that. I was working with most of, again, some of my very best friends. And so honestly, even though I was a contract attorney, I was, I was very lax and didn't have contracts with a lot of them, (laughs) especially one in particular was a friend of mine who is also, we graduated law school together. Um, so it's like, what are we going to do? Negotiate a contract? Like that's (laughs) just (laughs) funny. Um, but that wedding in particular is what brought this all to light for me. Uh, because I, in that instance, I, created a huge glass seeking chart for them. And to again, to make a long story short, the wedding planner decided to screw holes through it and hang it from the ceiling. Um which as you can imagine created a spider web effect and the whole thing crashed. Oh bridesmaid wow. um, in that wedding and so I had to stay up pretty much I basically pulled an all-nighter before the wedding to redo it. And then the question became, you know, whose fault was it? Mm -hmm. The wedding planner totally blamed it on me. Um, Who pays for this supplies when I had, you know, when I ran back to the store that night and spent all that time. And anyway, so that, that being said, the first things that I started looking at in that scenario, when all of a sudden I had an angry wedding planner, who was honestly kind of painting me in, in a bad light a little bit in that way. And I wanted to protect my friend as well. The first things I was looking at were, well, I know when anybody's back is kind of pushed against a, a wall, they will kind of, you know, they, they can fight a little bit. Um, how am I protected in this scenario? So I looked at the fact that I did not have an LLC. That's where I always start. And I'll I'll circle back to that. The second thing that I looked at, of course, is the fact that I didn't have a contract. So it was all going to be a matter of he said, she said, let's look at all the emails we have. Mm-hmm. So Again, long way to to answer the question, but I just wanted to share that sometimes my goal for anybody listening to this is to not have to go through a scenario like that, because I want you to have the knowledge up front and being forewarned means being forearmed is, is how I look at it. Yeah. Um, so to put it simply, an LLC is the first thing that I always advise my clients to look at, because an LLC is going to separate your personal assets and liability from your business assets and liability. Mm -hmm. No matter how small your hobby is um, or your side business, whatever, you know, when it's that gray area, no matter how small it is, you need to look at forming an LLC um, for a couple of reasons. One, again, being the the liability protection. If in that scenario, if my, if the wedding planner decided to try to, you know, sue me for (laughs) for something (laughs) under that claim, Um, technically she would have been able to just sue me as an individual. Mm -hmm. And that would mean that all of my personal assets are there on the line. And if we make this situation, if we just paint this scenario to be as as bad as possible, if that were to happen and let's say I lost a lawsuit and let's say that the, the judge said I had to pay, you know, something crazy, like a hundred thousand dollars in damages. And if I said, judge, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. He would have theoretically been able to look over at me and say, well, you have a car, you have a house, you have assets you could liquidate to satisfy this judgment. So that is why from a liability perspective, an LLC is critically, critically important. It's a simple, it's a simple entity. It's very, very easy to form. Typically it's very cheap or very cost efficient in most States with the exception of California. Um, For example, I live in Oklahoma and it's only a hundred dollars to form an LLC here in California. I believe the number is more around 900. So I understand if people wait a little bit longer, but, um, but that's always the first, the first starting point. Mm Hmm. Good. Yeah, sorry. Um, from from a tax perspective as well, and and thank goodness I'm I always joke. Thank goodness I'm not a tax attorney. I don't do anything with taxes. <laughs> uh, but from a tax perspective, once your business starts bringing in a decent amount of money, you're able to elect for your LLC to be taxed as an S corporation, which is going to. And this is just a very um, this is a very uh, this is not an eloquent way of explaining it, but essentially that means that your business is going to be able to be taxed as a business rather than as an individual. Mm-hmm. A good accountant, a good tax strategist is going to be able to save you quite a bit of money um, by operating your business that way from a financial standpoint. But again, that's something that anyone listening, you need to talk to your accountant about.
0: Yeah. I, um, for one, like the, the thing that really sounds out to me, and I think that people really need to understand is that this is like one step and probably one of the most important steps when it comes to having a business how you know however big or small it is is the protection right we want to be able to protect ourselves and uh, protect the people that we're also going to be working with. Because if, you know, at one point we start to hire people, um, you know, VAs or actual employees or contractors and things like that, we want to make sure that we have things in place that protect us and protect others. Right. And yeah, yeah, like, you know, if you want to go into the details and you have to go and um, figure out like state by state, like what, what is required and, you know, how much it is. And we're in California. So we, we did have to pay um, quite, quite, a, quite a bit more money, but um, it's still worth it. Um, and I think that, um, like I said, no matter how small your business is, maybe right now it feels like a hobby, but you want to start thinking about those things um, because you don't want to, you know, run into a situation that can happen in a split second. And then, you know, it it could be a nightmare, right?
1: Absolutely. That's, um, that's exactly right. And, and two things just to kind of follow up that point as well. um, The conversations that I have with, with my own clients frequently is, and this is why I use my story as an example at that point it was a hobby, but if I were being really honest with myself, it, it had turned me into a business mm-hmm. and yeah, it just took me a minute to figure that out. Um, so taking it's okay, it's completely fine. If you have a, a creative hobby or if you have a side, a side hustle, whatever you want to call it, you will have to, at some point in time, take a look at when, when you've actually shifted into being a business and then it's time to start treating the business like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically put, because there are different requirements, um, and again, I'm, I'm not going to get into too many of the tax um, perspectives of this because I'm not qualified to speak to them, <laughs> um, but once you start bringing in even just a few hundred dollars, you are legally required to um, notify the IRS, essentially, that that you're selling goods and services and commerce. So mm-hmm. frequently when I'm speaking to anybody with a with and a sign, a side hustle or just a a hobby that they maybe started to monetize, um, it can turn into a business quite, quite a bit quicker than you might think. The other aspect too is, and just kind of on a, on a personal note with it is you have to think about your family as well. So in that instance, my, um, my very patient husband, and again, very new husband at that point, we've been married about two years by then, um, who was, you know, helping me get all my my pins back out, helping me get the new glass seating chart ready to go and like bringing me <laughs> bringing me coffee and things like that to, while I was up all night working on it. If that situation had devolved into a lawsuit, our assets would have been on the line. Like it would have harmed him as well. And so that's just again more of a personal note, but that's something that I think about as well and if If you're on the verge of wondering if anybody listening, if you're on the verge of wondering if it is time to start with that liability protection, actually form an entity, that is something that I do believe you need to take into consideration just because we're all humans at the end of the day. (laughs) I think it's important to look at the the human level of it.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, This is a little bit of a maybe a bit more niched um, question. But I'm thinking about like the online entrepreneur um, or, you know, the influencers, you know, there's so many people now online that maybe necessarily don't have a product that they um, they have, but they do provide a service or they collaborate. um, They use their social media as their business. Is there anything in particular from a legal perspective that, um, you know, someone like that would need to know?
1: Absolutely. Um, they will first, you need to have, again, not to be redundant, but you need to have an LLC. Mm-hmm. If you're working with any other company, it's you're past the point of even questioning if you need to have an LLC. It's that is a definite. Um, and that's really going to, that question actually steers us perfectly into talking about contracts because that's when contracts are going to be extremely, like critically, critically important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you also hit on a good question, too, that honestly, I, I overlook quite a bit. But even if you don't have a tangible product, everything that I'm talking about today applies to service based providers as well. I work with with influencers and bloggers and I have a, a separate blog aside from um, aside from my law firm and all of that as well. So, I mean, I've been able to, again, take this from my perspective, too. But anytime that you're working with another company, you need to be very, very explicitly clear about the terms under which you were providing those services or um, the collaboration, as it can be called, even if you're not being financially compensated. If you're being compensated through a trade in the eyes of the law, you are actually performing the work um, in commerce. And that's, that's the key as to when. More legal requirements are going to require that you, again, you're, you have an EIN number, for example, that you, um, that you actually are running this thing as a business. And again, that kind of leads us into the tax side as well. Yeah. Uh, something that I see quite a bit as well, working with bloggers, influencers, any, anybody like that is, um, it's thrilling to, it's, it's so exciting to see your hard work rewarded with getting asked to collaborate or ask to promote a product or anything like that. Um, but you do need to be, it is important to kind of pump the brakes and make sure that everything's being done legally and properly. So again, making sure that you have those contracts in place and also making sure that you're following FTC guidelines with how you're, you're operating. So you can stop me at any point in time here because I don't want to get in the weeds too much. But um, to put that simply, from an FTC perspective if you're ever endorsing a product or if you're ever of any sort so typically you know any affiliation of, of any sort uh, you need to disclose your rela- relationship with the company you need to disclose um, if you've used the product yourself or not and you, the way that that disclaimer needs to be placed within the copy so whether that's in a blog post or an Instagram post is extremely important um, or it's a, it's a law. It's not just that it's extremely important, um, but it must be disclosed basically above the fold. So, for example, it has to be either that disclaimer has to be either in the same line as the product that you are referencing or it has to be before the product that you're referencing. So, whoever is reading, again, if we're talking an Instagram caption or a blog post, They have to see the disclaimer before they actually get to the product or it has to be right afterwards. Mm -hmm. What I see people doing wrong every single day is they will put that disclaimer at the bottom of of the blog post because it's (laughs) ugly and it's awkward. The small print. Uh They'll put it at the bottom of the blog post or even worse, I've seen quite a bit is they'll just put the disclaimer like in the footer of the website or in the footer of the email newsletter that is not legal. You cannot do that. You will get pegged for it at some point in time.
0: Wow. Well, that's, that's good information. And, um, I know we weren't going to get into the weeds, but I actually think that, um, I'm just curious, walk me through a scenario where someone, you know, makes a mistake like this. They Mm -hmm. don't properly, um, put the disclaimers or whatever, um, in, in place, what can happen to them as a small business owner, as an influencer, a blogger from a legal perspective?
1: So you could get fined by the FTC, um, just to be completely transparent too. luckily this has not happened to any of my clients because this is something I'm obviously not letting my clients. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't give any tangible examples of, of instances where this has happened, but I, I know of other people to whom it has happened. Um, but you can get fined by the FTC, uh, which could be a nominal fine or they, it could be a more extensive fine. Um, from a liability standpoint though, that's actually not my, my primary concern. My primary concern is looking back to the agreement, whether that was a verbal or written agreement with the, the company that you are providing that I'm going to just call it affiliate work for. Mm-hmm. Um, that third-party liability is always the we always want to look two steps ahead and look look to that problem. So, for example, if you did post it incorrectly, and um, you did get hit with an FTC fine, the you need to look at your agreement with the um, with the company again that you're promoting and look at the indemnification provision. See if they basically that in layman's terms that's um, the provision that states that. They promise to protect you. They basically, they've got your back.
0: Yeah. Is what
1: I always call it. Um, look at provisions like that. And also, it can be buried in the fine print of those of influencer agreements. But um, if you don't perform your work legally, uh, which again can go back to just these very simple disclaimers, um, sometimes those companies, the real savvy companies, have um, language in their agreements that state that you're not entitled to compensation because, uh, because from the perspective of the company, you've created liability, brought it to their doorstep and they are trying to legally make it clear to like, if you, if that contract were ever read in court, they would want it to be clear that you didn't abide by the rules. You voided the contract essentially. So, yeah.
0: that's so everybody's something. looking,
1: looking out for themselves. <laughs> exactly. exactly.
0: So, um, switching gears a little bit, uh I want to ask you a question regarding websites. Yes. So um, when you get to the point where, you know, you want to um, create a website, um, what are some of the things that you can uh, implement into your website that will help you um, protect your
1: business? Great question. I was hoping that you would ask about this because it's one of the most important things that I see done incorrectly again, every single day. Um, <laughs> so there are, there are a couple of aspects of online legality that I'm going to boil it down to to three right now. Number one, this is the easy one that probably won't apply to too many people, but if you are um, providing any sort of legal advice, medical advice, financial advice, or health advice, you are required to have a disclaimer on your website. So I'm obviously a a good example of this. I have a disclaimer at the footer of my website that states that Everything provided is for educational purposes only. It's not specific legal advice. Mm. Um, There have been actually a, I hate these cases, but there have been a handful of cases where bloggers have been sued for um, and they've lost for providing what seemed like innocuous health advice. Mm. Um, So maybe like diet tips or I mean some something like that, that where you don't even realize that you're you're accidentally sharing health advice. Um, and they've lost, they've lost those lawsuits. So if you're ever wondering if you're on the line of, of providing that financial health, et cetera, et cetera, advice, just go ahead and add a disclaimer. It's better safe. Sorry. And honestly, it makes you look more professional to do so anyways. Um, so disclaimers are the first element of online legality. The second element is actually the most important one. This is a, this is a a must. This is a illegal legal requirement, not a should. And um, so, if you have a website that is collecting any sort of personal data from anybody using the website, you are legally required to have a privacy policy. Mm-hmm. The question obviously becomes, what does collection of data mean, especially to someone like myself, who like I'm not techie. I don't I don't know if, if I'm collecting data. It's an accident, basically. <laughs> uh, if you the easiest way to to boil that down is, if you have a contact form on your website, you're collecting data. Mm-hmm. If you have so, if you're able to get anyone's name, um, obviously if you have a shop and you're able to get the credit card information or you know those types of things, email address that is considered personal data. The other element to this is if you have something like Google Analytics or Hotjar or something that's tracking the activity on your website. You're also collecting data. So you were required by not just U S laws. So not just federal FTC laws, but uh, California, you all have mm-hmm. really been the trailblazers in this, in this area. California has specific language that's required in your privacy policy. And then the European union does as well. So, which is called the GDPR. Um, and this, what's important to keep in mind with this is if you are, it doesn't matter if you're in Europe or not, for example, in terms of which privacy laws apply to you. Um, it's about where the user is located. Mm. So if somebody in the EU ever looks at your website, automatically you are required to abide by all the G- GDPR laws. So the jurisdiction question become, it was confusing for attorneys when that when that law came out at first. Um generally speaking, anybody listening, like we don't know you can't you can't control who's going to look at your website and from where they're going to do it. So better safe than sorry, go ahead and assume that you need to abide by FTC, California, and GDPR laws. Um, And these laws are always changing. And this is why this is one of the main reasons why I created the creative law shop and created the lifetime updates because every, for a while there, every single year, the laws were changing. Um, so, but I, I digress slightly there. So, so that's the second element. The third element, this is a should, this is not a legal requirement, but you should have a terms and conditions on your website. Mm-hmm. So this is the contract that governs your website, literally governs the terms of how the user can, access any of the material on your website. This is one of the only forms of contracts in the United States that does not require a signature to be valid. Um, just by using the website, they automatically agree to the terms. And where this becomes extremely, extremely important is unfortunately we have You're at some point, I hate to even say this, but at some point everybody's going to encounter a copycat probably. I mean, odds are, if somebody's pulling copy from your website or photos from your website, or I mean, the, the stuff I've seen, I've had somebody literally copy a client's website and forget to change the name in the about page. Oh, no. <laughs> <Like> the, <laughs> most, the most blatant form of copying I think you could ever do. Um, your terms and conditions are going to be the document that you fall back on to legally stop them from doing that. That's yeah. very important. My last note to just wrap up online legality is these documents must be the privacy policy and the terms and conditions must be accessible from any point on the website. So they have to be in your header or your footer, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would recommend your footer, just I'm not a designer, but it's not really that pretty to have them on the header of your yeah. website. Uh, when it comes to those disclaimers, if you're like me and your entire like my entire law firm website is obviously about law. My disclaimer is in the footer as well. Um, but if you're writing a blog post and you just happen to hit on, you know, one or two topics, going back to the example of health, um, like health advice, if you have a blog post about diet tricks or something like that, then that disclaimer needs to be in that blog post specifically. hmm
0: Wow. So this is a lot of information and I can imagine people are listening right now. It's like, how would I be able to keep track of all of this? I know that you personally have some type of templates. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how people can actually kind of have like a step-by-step on what to do when it comes to, um, you know, the legal stuff?
1: Yeah. So I I've mentioned a little bit, my second business that I formed is called the creative law shop. And this it started a couple i started it i think like 2 months after i started my law firm just because it it quickly became apparent that a i everyone needs a contract and i can't work across state lines when it comes to contract law and b if you're like i was in my calligraphy days just starting out you don't need to pay a lawyer their hourly rate to go spend 15 hours drafting a contract for something that quite frankly most attorneys don't understand anyways mm-hmm. Like most attorneys don't know what a calligrapher really truly does, for example. Anyway, so the creative law shop was, was born out of just born out of, of recognizing, um, those elements. And I think right now we have between 80 and 90 contracts in the shop. So these are all contracts that I've written literally for myself or for personal clients, just redacted our names and converted them into templates. Mm-hmm. Um, And we do offer lifetime updates, like I mentioned with the privacy policy. Um, On the shop's website, for anybody listening, if you just look in the header of our website, there's a section called free resources. And I have um, everything from, I have plenty of of freebies, such as um, we have a contract guide that literally goes through all the bullet points. If you want to audit your own contract without having to talk to the lawyer, (laughs) you can just take a look at that and go through your contracts. Um, We also have, a plethora of information on starting a business and um, all of the points that I've spoken about today are, are all on the shop, both in blog posts and in the free resources as well. So I'm personally, I'm a visual learner, so it's always useful to go back <laughs> and reread what, what I've heard. Yeah, that's perfect. And
0: I, I love templates personally. Um, so anything that I, that I can get my hands on that is like a step-by-step or just like fill, fill in the blanks, I'm all for it. So um, that is awesome that you have that. So as we wrap this up, um, I know we can talk for hours about, um, about this, but um, as we wrap up, what is one other thing that you think we haven't talked about? That's really important for the listeners to know.
1: One other thing, um, Okay. So this, this is taking it. We've, we've kind of touched on contracts. We've spoken about entities. Those are going to be the two or two starting blocks that you need. You need to have that ironed out. Um, And again, all of the information I've talked about is on the shop. So you can go through and study a little bit if need be looking ahead though, as your side hustle turns into a business, or if you do have a business and as it starts to grow, you really it is critically, critically important that you um, not just, it's critically important that you protect your business name. And what I mean by this, if I, anybody listening, if, if you have not had a lawyer run a legal due diligence search on your name, even if you've been using it for years, that is just, it, that is low hanging fruit that is ripe for um, another company to come in and take advantage if you're using a business name that is even remotely similar to somebody else's name, and especially if they have a trademark, they're able to actually come and force you to stop using that business name. And they, in mo- most instances, are able to force you into a settlement agreement. <laughs> I don't laugh. It's not funny at all. Um, I call it legal extortion, actually. But they, they are able to come in for they'll say we're either going to sue you or you can sign the settlement agreement and pay us a small fee of fifteen thousand dollars a year to use that name. Wow. I had a client go through this last year with one of the biggest companies in the world, literally, and they tried to force her into an agreement to pay fifty thousand dollars a year um, to continue continue using her podcast name. Mm-hmm. And it it was gutting but Anyway, so you need to run a due diligence search, which is the first step of, of trademarking. Even if you aren't ready to trademark, you need to run that search to make sure that if you need to rebrand or change your name, do it now before, rather than later on once you've built up more of a brand identity, obviously. yeah, uh, From a, both a PR and just a, the pay the payments that you have to make to your designer, I mean, they get extensive. Um, every business owner needs to have a trademark Again, this goes back to because everyone should you need to own your business name, not just because it feels good to own your name, but because if anybody comes along and thinks that your name is really clever and they want to go ahead and use it themselves or use something that's even phonetically, phonetically or visually similar to your name, they can file a trademark before you. Once they get the trademark, they can come in and they can legally enjoin you from using that name any longer. Um, and so you, you don't want your name to be ripped out from underneath you. At the same time, you don't want other people to be able to form businesses that have a similar name to yours and people get your business confused with that business all the time. And Obviously, I mean, for obvious <laughs> reasons there. So, so trademarking after you have your LLC, after you've gone through and make sure that your contracts are up to par, trademarking and, and that due diligence search are going to be absolutely critical.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. That is great information. Thank you so much, Paige. Um, So many things I'm going to have to re-listen to this um, episode as well, so I can make sure I have all my ducks in a row. Um, But thank you so much for your time. If, well, I know people are going to want to check you out and, um, you know, learn more about what you teach. How can people get a hold of you and how can they connect with you?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation a lot. Um, if you want to reach my law firm, that is available at pageholz.com, And I got very clever in naming that. That's Page Law. <laughs> and that website, my law firm, I primarily practice trademark law. Um, about 80% of what I do is trademark law. And about 20% is kind of high-level business mergers and acquisitions, things like that. Um, the second business that I kept mentioning is the Creative Law Shop, which is available at shopcreativelaw.com. And that has, anytime somebody asks me a, con- a question about online privacy or contracts, it turns into a blog post and it is live on the shop's website, as well as every single contract. Again, that I use in my own business, my graphic design template when I hired a designer, my independent contractor agreement for all the people that work for me, my own employment agreement, those types of things. They're all in the shop and available at any time.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, you guys, you need to check this out. Um, don't just set this aside as something that you'll kind of look at later, make sure that you have these things in place because, you know, when you start off, you know, with the business, you, Sometimes you just want to be creative or you just want to earn a little extra money and you don't really think about some of these details. So you want to make sure that you put this on your to-do list to um, check it out and make sure that you have everything that you need to protect yourself and your business and your family. So thank you so much, Paige.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.